Hey everyone, thank you for tuning in to the New Birth Podcast. There's a word of hope for you today and we are excited for what God is doing here at New Birth. For more information, visit our website, nbplaceofhope.com. Now for the message by our senior pastor, Gabby Mejia. Amen. We, we've been preaching the entire month of December out of Isaiah chapter 9 verse 6 where the prophet 720 years before Jesus was born, he has an opportunity to have a snippet, a picture of Jesus is coming to the earth. He is the only prophet who also has a snippet of how he's going to look. For he saw him in Isaiah chapter 9 and 6. Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders, and he shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Everlasting Father, right? Mighty God, Prince of Peace. So week one, we talked about Wonderful Counselor. Week two, we talked about Mighty God. Week three we talked about, which was last week, Everlasting Father. And today we're going to talk about Prince of Peace. Um, so Isaiah was able to capture Jesus' birth before he shows up, 720 years. But then in Isaiah chapter 53, he also gets the privilege to see Jesus in crucifixion mode. So he sees him before he's born. He sees him at the cross. And he says that what he saw, there was no beauty in him. He was a man who was, who was uh, experimented in sorrows. And then he talks about him being bruised and whipped. And the chastisement of our peace was upon him. And by his stripes, we are healed. So Isaiah had the privilege of seeing Jesus before being born. But then he has the honor of seeing Jesus in all of his splendor as it relates to the crucifixion and the agonizing experience of Calvary so that we can then embrace the greatest gift of God, which is salvation. Amen. And so we talked about wonderful God, wonderful counselor, everlasting father. Amen. Mighty God. And today we're going to talk about Prince of Peace. Um, and I want to, I want to use a scripture in the book of Matthews to give me an undergird or uh, explain, if you will, why am I speaking on the Prince of Peace? Matthews chapter two. Uh, Matthew writes it to the Jews, and when he writes this letter, he is intentional in the narrative he describes. He is, not, he is not putting content in the story just to give us an image, but he wants us to capture the picture. The gospel according to St. Matthews is a letter or a gospel written, written to the Jews. And it's written to the Jews because Matthews wanted to display Jesus' lordship to the people of God who by the, at the end of the day did not want to embrace Jesus as king of Jews. Uh, Jesus said he came to his own, speaking of himself, he came to his own and his own received him not. But those, of the, but those who received him, he gave them the power to be called sons of God. So he writes this gospel to the Jewish audience to let them know that the Messiah they rejected is the Son of God who died on the cross, rose from the dead, and it's seated at the right hand of the Father. But when he writes Matthew chapter 1, 
He focuses on the birth of Jesus. Chapter 1 verse 18 says, and the birth of Jesus was on this wise. As Mary was espoused to Joseph before they came together, she was pregnant by the Holy Spirit. And Joseph being just a man, he was, well, I'm not reading scripture, right? but the story, the long story is that she was, she, she, she was conceived by the Holy Spirit. And then chapter 2 tells us what is happening in the environment of this mystical angelic conception so chapter one mary's excited the angel showed up he said mary you're gonna have a baby and blessed are you among the women you're highly favored and she was all hype but then joseph was a little scared because like yo we you know you know we engage and you're having a baby and who's the baby father it was it, it was a chaos but she was overwhelmed why because she was endowed she was pregnant by the holy spirit and something so beautiful as to be as to be embraced and be conceiving the child which is going to be the savior of the world that beautiful experience is taking place in a hostile environment one thing is that you have a wonderful experience in a beautiful environment another thing is to have a wonderful experience in a hostile environment. Let me give you an example. It's your birthday. They're trying to do a little birthday, but you're in the middle of an airplane about to collapse. That's, they don't get no more tragic than that, right? You can enjoy your birthday if the plane is, is flip-flopping and about to collapse. There is no way in the world that you can be enjoying a good moment in a hostile environment. Mary is pregnant by the Holy Spirit what a wonderful experience and what happens in the environment of a pregnancy is what I want to talk about today. Because my point today is to address the fourth title of Isaiah chapter 9 verse 6 which is Prince of Peace. But this Prince of Peace is not born in a peaceful environment. This Prince of Peace is being born in a hostile environment. Look what it says, Matthew chapter 2, and I'm going to read the first 13 verses. It says, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east, somebody say east, say it again, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born king of Jews. That's, that's a tense statement. Because there's already a king in Bethlehem, in Jerusalem. His name is Herod. And the Magis who are coming from the east are asking, where is the one who had been born king of Jews? We saw his star when it rose and we've come to worship him. Now bear in mind, Matthew is writing to our audience, Jewish audience. And Matthew says that three wise or magis, three wise men or three magis, are coming to worship Jesus. Now, these three magis or these three wise men are not Jews. They're Gentiles. Understand, Jewish people 
had and wanted nothing to do with Gentiles. If you were a Gentile and I was a Jew and we lived in the times of the Bible. <coughs> if I would be walking down a road, me Jew, you Gentile, and we would come across each other. I had the right to cross the street and ignore you because to me a Jew be next to you Samaritan or you Gentile meant you had the capacity to dirty me a Jew. But the Matthew begins to write his gospel and he's telling us that when the savior of the world came to the planet, the only ones that came to worship were Gentiles. Now, this is an insult. If you are a Jew man reading this gospel, you just got slapped in the face. Because they're not Jews. They're Gentiles. And let me tell you this. I'm glad that the first people that came to worship Jesus when he was born were not Jews, were Gentiles. Because it tells me that within God's salvific plan so that the world may be saved, he made room for me at the manger. Now, who were these magis? They were astrologers. They weren't Judaism. They weren't Pharisees. They weren't Sadducees. They weren't scribes. They, they were astrologers. They would worship stars. Yet God made room for astrologers to worship Jesus. We've got to be the kind of church that there is room for all kind of people to worship Jesus. Because God has a way of taking an astrologer and get the glory out of him. God has a way of getting a homeless, a drug addict, a junkie, a liar, an adulterer, and put him at the foot of the cross. But once he starts worshiping Jesus, something happens in that person's life. So I like the fact that Matthew says, no, they weren't Jews, they were Gentiles. But I like these three men's pursuit. They were on a, <coughs> I got the flu. <coughs> they were on a westbound pursuit. The Bible tells us that the Magi's came from the east, heading west. That's important. One, they were Gentiles. Two, where they were coming from. And the Bible specifically tells us that these three Gentiles were coming from the east heading west. Now, why is this important? Because when you go back to the book of Genesis, when Adam and Eve sinned against God, the Bible says that God put a cherubim in the garden and God casted Adam from the east of the garden. Adam was cast out from the east. He couldn't come back west into the garden because of his disobedience. Because when they decided to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they decided to disobey God. God put an angel in the very presence of the Garden of Eden and they told Adam and Eve, you guys got to go away. You got to go east from the garden but here we see these three men coming west to Jesus 
Just like Adam and Eve couldn't, couldn't come back. They couldn't come back west because they were kicked out to the east. They couldn't come back west. But when I look at Jesus, in Jesus' birth, having these three men coming to Jesus, coming back west, is a sign of letting us know that, yes, the condemnation of Adam that caused man to leave the garden is now the opposite that now Jesus allows everybody who is out on the east come back to the west to find an encounter with Jesus Christ. Another interesting fact is that the people of Israel in the temple, when they would go to worship in the temple, there were all kinds of doors and there were all sorts of entrances. You had the fish gate, you had the, the sacrifice gate, you had the water gate, you had, it was like 12 gates. And the only gate you would go in to worship in the temple was through the west gate. As if to say the west implies coming to Jesus. These three wise men left the east and came back west. Sometimes we are so far east from the things of God. But God is telling us today, it doesn't matter how far east you are. I am available and I am accessible. All you need to do is start walking westward in the direction of my purpose for you, church. When we draw west, we draw close to God. So I like the fact that they were going westward. But I also like the fact that they were persistent on their pursuit. There's a lot of people that want to go west back to God, but things happen along the way that you give up on your pursuit to God. There are people that this time last year said, oh, when 2017 come, forget about it. I'm going to win the world. I'm going to get involved in church. I'm going to do this. I'm going to serve. I'm going to be a blessing. But something happened around March and April that your pursuit dwindled. These guys were persistent. Let me, let me just say this. These guys literally traveled a thousand miles away east to west perspective that's like if you were to get up and drive from Florida to Chicago now understand they didn't have cars they didn't have airplanes they didn't have motorcycles they didn't have uber they had camels a thousand miles and they never quit on their pursuit a thousand miles. Now, they, it was hot in the, in the winter days, and in the summer days. It was hot in the desert. It was cold at night. They were starving perhaps. Who knows what happened? A thousand miles on a camel. And some of us, we can't drive five minutes to church. Going through the desert. Hot as heck. Everything could have told them, guys, just go back. It's not, it's not worth it. But something about their pursuit to finding Jesus, something about their pursuit, they were willing to go through the fire of the, of the desert. They were willing to go through the cold nights. They were, and here's what's crazy. Do all of that. And then when they finally come and see Jesus, Jesus was such an infant baby that he was not even going to remember that they walked and drove, not walked, drove, that they walked a thousand miles. Because by the time they came to Jesus, Jesus was goo goo gaga and Jesus was playing with his toes. They didn't even recognize the fact that he traveled a thousand miles. When you are on an on 
ongoing pursuit for Christ, I'm here to tell you, church, when you make it your business to follow Jesus, you're not following him because of the applauses of the people. You're not following him because of the accolades people are going to give you. When you decide to pursue God, it's something about your pursuit and coming to the foot of the master of the world that your greatest satisfaction is being in the very presence of the creator of the universe. Why do I come to church? Because I want you to see me in my new tie? No, I come to church because I'm on an ongoing pursuit to worship my master. Why do I come to church? Because that's the good thing that church people do. No, I come to church because there's something about fighting the storms and the deserts of life and get to church on a Sunday and lift up holy hands and give God glory and worship God in spite is an ongoing pursuit to worship the creator of the universe. They travel a thousand miles. And their consistent pursuit didn't dwindle. Now here's what God does. When you pursue him, understand this. The Bible says that God gave them a star. And they would follow the star throughout the entire trajectory. As if to say, I got your back, keep on walking. As if to say... I know you're sacrificing, but I got your back. I'm here to tell you, it doesn't matter how rough your life may be. You got to do what the psalmist did. The psalmist said, I will lift my eyes to the hills where my strength comes from. My strength comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. There's something about you looking to the stars of heaven in the middle of your, in the middle of your storm, in the middle of your crisis, in the middle of your turmoil. I'm here to tell you today, church, Jesus is the bright and shining star, and he's going to make a path and he's going to show you the way and all you need to do is keep on following Jesus in spite of how difficult life may be. Follow Jesus and I promise you church the closer you walk in proximity to Christ, your perspective of your hell and your desert will lose its power over your life. They saw his star and the seeing of the star said we're not going to stop walking till we worship. They saw the star and they said, I know it's hot outside, but when I get to the foot of the master, I'm going to worship him. God wants us to acknowledge him. Let me keep on reading. Let me keep on reading. Verse 3. Check what it says. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed. When he heard what? That three wise men were coming to worship the king. They were disturbed. And all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chiefs, priests, and teachers of the law, he asked them before the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem of Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. Although they were Gentiles, these guys knew scripture. And then he quotes Isaiah, but you, look what he says, but you Bethlehem in the land of Judah and by, are by no means least amongst the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi's secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child. And as soon as you find them, report to me so that I too may worship. Liar, liar, pants on fire. He was trying to kill Jesus. Verse 9, after they heard the king, they went on their way 
And the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary. And they bowed down and they worshipped him. And then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back, listen, God still speaks through dreams. Not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country another thousand miles through another route. When they had gone, the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. These three mag magis, or magis are clueless of who King Herod was. This guy was a ruthless killer. He becomes king at the age of 25. That's a big mistake. Because some people at 25 don't even know how to tie their shoes right. Let's alone be king. At the age of 25, he becomes king. Now, how and why did he become king? There was a, there was a, there was a conflict between Rome and Israel or Judea. And what Rome did, Rome said, we need to have somebody to stand in the middle between the Jewish people and Rome. So we're going to appoint a king to make the Jews happy that they have a king so that they don't feel like we're enslaving them by our Roman authority. A little did they know that Herod was just a puppet. So he becomes king. And instead of pacifying the people, he agitated the people because the people did not receive King Herod as a king because King Herod never was a religious Jew. He was a political leader. Oh, I, 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 I could preach that all day. You got to be careful you're not under political leadership. You got to be careful you're under people who are, listen, if I'm going to follow somebody, I want to follow somebody who is following God and not following somebody who, be, who has a position and want to be political. And, no, the devil is a liar. Listen to me. The Roman Empire made him king to pacify the Jewish people. And it didn't work. The Jews hated this title because Herod was a Jew by, he was not a Jew by religion. He was a Jew by position. Now, let, 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 let me tell you how crazy Herod was. He was a ruthless killer. He was so bad, he killed his mother-in-law. And if you sit next beside your mother-in-law, please don't say amen, praise the Lord, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> he killed his mother-in-law. Not only did he kill his mother-in-law, he killed his wife. Not only did he kill his wife, he killed his three sons. This guy was mean. You know why he killed his wife? He killed his wife because he thought that she was a threat to his kingdom. When Herod became 70, this guy was so bad that when Herod became 70 years, he sent a letter to all of the head families of the tribes of Jerusalem to come and meet with him. And the reason why he met with all of the head of the tribes is because he wanted to identify who was the head leader of the family. Because he, he made a law 
And he said, the day I die, I want you to kill every head family of the tribes of Jerusalem because when he, the day he died, ain't nobody was going to cry for him because nobody wanted him. But you know what he did? He said, oh, y'all ain't going to cry for me? All right, I'm going to kill all the heads of the family the day I die. So the day I die, the whole nation is crying for me. And I want to give the impression to the world that all of Jerusalem is crying. They ain't crying for you. You killed everybody in the house. This guy was horrible. He was barbaric. Josephus, the writer, calls him a barbaric man. However, it was in that time of tension, of hostility, of fear, tumultuous environment. It was in that tense environment that Jesus, the Messiah, is born in the planet. He didn't come to the earth when everything was fine and dandy. He didn't come to the earth when everything was sweet. No, he comes in the middle of the worst moments of the nation of Israel. He says, now I'm going to come. Why? Because I'm not just the Savior. I am the Prince of Peace. It was in this environment that Jesus is born. The King is born. The King is of kings is born. And this king that is being born comes to the planet to destroy the works of Satan. Listen to me. God speaks to those who, whose hearts are in the right place. Just like God spoke to the Magi's. The Gentiles, they traveled 1,000 miles. God told the Magi to take another route to get Jesus, to get to Jesus in a dream. That same king is looking for people who are willing to follow him. That same king is sending a star and he's saying, if you just come to me, I promise I will give you peace in the middle of your worst moments. The God you and I serve is not dead. He's still speaking. As a matter of fact, God speaks every single day. You know why? Because the Bible says that his words never comes back void. So everything God said, he is still saying. Because his words are ongoing and ongoing and ongoing and ongoing. The problem is not that God is not speaking. The problem is that you are not hearing. But once you start hearing the voice of the Lord, once you start hearing the word of God, every single day you wake up, you know what you got to do, you know where you got to go, you know who you got to be with, because this is what we call the continuous word of God speaking on your behalf. You know what's that? thousand miles, no GPS, but a star. And the, and the star tells the Magi's, when you pass this coconut, turn left. And the star is just shifting and moving and changing directions. And the Magi's are not complaining. They're just following because the star is going to lead them to the king the star is going to lead them to the messiah the star is going to lead them man i want to encourage you this christmas to follow the star i want to encourage you this christmas to follow the sign god has given you i want to encourage you this christmas stop ignoring the signs god has given you and put your ear open enough to hear what god wants to tell you i want to tell you stop waiting on people to tell you what god wants to tell you you got the spirit of god that can speak to you directly don't come to me what God has for me no I ain't got nothing for you you got to get down on your knees and pursue the Lord and go back west and God will show you exactly what you need to do
Listen to me, church. He's not dead. He's still speaking. If you just listen, you would hear him speak. He'll speak to us personally. But if we come with an act of worship, then we will hear him. So we have a king being born while there's an existing king creating havoc and fear. Now, they both have the same title. Because the Magi said, we came to worship a king. Herod was a king. Now, they're both kings, but they're not in comparison. Because Herod, King Herod is nothing like King Jesus. Can I get an amen? Both were kings, but completely different. Here we see two kingdoms. The kingdom of an ego-narcissistic maniac and the kingdom of a loving God. One king thinks he's king of Judea and the other king is the king of kings and lord of lords. Herod means son of hero. Jesus means son of God. Herod the king was a murderer, killed people. Jesus the king gave salvation that none should perish but have everlasting life. Jesus the king loved his brothers. Herod the king killed his brothers. Herod was a king obsessed with power, prestige, and position. Jesus was obsessed with obeying his father's will and giving us the capacity to be greater than him even after he left. Jesus the king loved his mother so much that he prepared well-being for her after his death. King Herod killed his mother-in-law in the process. King Herod thinks he's king, but Jesus is king of kings. King Herod killed all of the little kids. King Jesus says, let all the children come to me and suffer them not for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. King Herod loved power and didn't want to give it away. King Jesus said, you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon thee. And you will be my witnesses in Judea, Samaria, and Jerusalem until the ages of the world. So when I look at King Jesus and when I look at King Herod, I want, I'd rather stay with King Jesus and not be with King Herod. King Herod represents fear. King Herod represents anxiety. King Herod represents tumultuous environment. King Herod represents intimidation. But there's something about coming at the foot of King Jesus that he will give you the peace that surpasses all understanding. There's something about coming at the foot of King Jesus that you're no longer afraid even though you're in a fearful environment. There's something about King Jesus that he could turn your sorrow into joy. There's something about King Jesus Jesus. Let me talk about the road to get to Jesus. The Magi's were warned to take a different route. The Magi's were warned if you go back the other route, you're going to get in trouble. See, Christmas is not about gifts, church. Christmas is about obedience. <coughs> Christmas is not about a gift, Christmas is about obedience. Reason why we have the gift of salvation is because Jesus obeyed his father's will. If there were no obedience, there would be no gift. Let me say that again. If there was no obedience from the son to the father, we would not have the gift of salvation. 
It is our obedience to Christ. And it is Christ's obedience to the Father that enables us to receive the gift of salvation. Obedience is the greater gift. Give an example. It's like, do you know, how many of you guys know what Chris Kringle is, right? Chris Kringle? Nobody knows what Chris Kringle is? All right, Chris Kringle comes from the Greek. Now, you know what Chris Kringle is, right? Chris Kringle, you exchange gift, right? Secret, oh, Secret Santa. Everybody know what Secret Santa is? Okay. I was trying to keep with Chris, Christian, Christ, but you want to be Santa. Okay, Santa. Let's talk about Santa. Secret Santa. They got a bunch of names, right, in the bag. And then the idea of Secret Santa is you, pick your, you put your hand in the bag and you pick a name, right? Right? But sometimes... When you get your secret Santa and you read that name, you don't like that person. And then you say something like, can we do it all over again? <laughs> see, 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 people who act like that, they, don't, they, they, they just miss the spirit of Christmas. Because it's, it's, if, that's, if, you, if you got Snotty Joe, then that's who you got. But you don't like Snotty Joe. But you have to obey the name you got. That's the name you got. Some of us, some of us want the benefits of Christmas, but we don't want to obey. Some of us want the blessings of Christ, but we don't want to live a life of obedience. Some of us want to be in the presence of God and have everything God has for us. And God is saying, I don't care about none of that. Can you obey me in the process? Because Christmas is all about obedience. It's obedience. So these magis, magis war, took a route. To get to Jesus. And I'm telling you here, church, perhaps you're here today and you may have come another route contrary to the one God wants you to walk through. But God's desire is that today as you go back home, you go back going westward toward Jesus. The Bible says that these men were warned as they were going back. Listen to me. God could only warn you. He will not tell, he will not make you do what you have to do. Some of us want God to force us into doing things. God says, I'm not going to force you. I'm just going to give you the capacity to understand this is the direction I want you to go through. God's assignment in our lives is to give us guidance. And so he'll provide a route for us, but it's up to us to go through that route. These guys drove a, a thousand miles, get to Jesus. And after that, then God sends, check this out. They come to Jesus, they worship, and immediately after, they leave. Not the same route, a different route. Oh, yeah, I remember that coconut tree. No, 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 you're going another route. I'm going to take you to another level. But then shortly after the three men leave, God tells Mary and Joseph, get up and go. He tells them, get up and go. But where he sends them to... It's a place they've never been to. He sends them from being in Bethlehem. He sends them to go to Egypt. Now understand, there's hostility in Bethlehem. Herod is trying to find who this baby Jesus is and kill everybody. It's tense. They couldn't get a place in a hotel, so they ended up in a manger. Tense. They're hiding. Mary's water's about to break. Tense. 
These three men have been traveling a thousand miles, tired and thirsty and hungry, tense. Then they come and worship Jesus, and then they leave another route, tense. And then God tells Mary and Joseph, get up and go to Egypt, tense. This is, this is, this is how Christ came to the world. In a context of tension, he tells them, go to Egypt. They had no idea what was waiting for them in Egypt. They didn't speak Egyptian language. Joseph didn't take his cousin, his brother, his sister, his brother. He took nobody. They went by themselves from a manger on a journey to Egypt. The Bible says that that night, as soon as the angels spoke to Joseph and Mary, that night they got up and left. Which tells me they didn't plan to pack right. They didn't have much to take and go. It's just like today I say, hey guys, from here we're going to go to Afghanistan. And we all pack up, get on a plane and go. Oh, time out. I want to get my mama. I want to get my Sephora and I want to get my Maybelline and I want to get my taquitos. And I want to get, no, 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 let's go. Because obedience is instantaneous. Sometimes we want to obey when we are ready to obey. God told Joseph and Mary, come now and leave to Egypt now. And they got up and they left that same night. God tells them, go to Egypt. They hadn't packed enough for this trip. But when God told them to get up, they got up. Listen to me, church. Some of us can avoid death. See, 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 what, what, what Mary and Joseph didn't know is that had they not obeyed the Lord, King Herod would have probably caught him and killed his baby. Had they not obeyed the Lord, one of the soldiers might have found out that Jesus was in a manger. But because they obeyed, because they obeyed, they were able to save the Savior. They got up. And God tells Joseph and Mary to go to Egypt. And God sends, here's what's crazy. When you obey God, listen to me, I'm closing. When you obey God, God will make provision for you. When you obey God, God will make provision for you. They got up. And you know what the three kings gave them? One of the things that three magis gave them, they gave them gold. Listen to me. A brick of gold today is worth $320,000. But when Mary and Joseph decided to obey and get up and leave, God made provision for Mary and Joseph because they obeyed. So they didn't have to worry about money. They had $320,000 worth because when you obey God, God is going to put the circumstance around you at your favor. When you obey God, God is going to give you gifts and God is going to give you stuff. When you obey God, but there's something about obeying even when you don't understand that he starts opening doors on your behalf. You got to be willing to obey the Lord, church. The angel tells Mary, Mary, you're going to have a baby. Imagine if Mary would have said, hell no, Jesus. Imagine. See, you know, we, we see this scripture, we get so spiritual about it. But that's, that's just like, I say, anybody here 13, 14 years old, 14-year-old girl, 
14 year old. That's just like I tell you. How old are you? How old are you? 13. I said, you know what? You've been chosen. You've been chosen to have a baby. Because Mary was your age when she was pregnant. She wasn't 40, she wasn't 50, she was your age. And Mary, and Mary had a boyfriend. And her boyfriend liked her. And she liked her boyfriend. And they were always Snapchatting, always. Now imagine, 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 I tell you, you're going to have a baby, but it ain't with your boyfriend. There's a little spirit going to come, and he's going to come inside you, and you're going to get pregnant. Now, 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 in this world, like in that world, ain't nobody going to believe when you start saying, oh, I'm pregnant by a spirit. Right? Ain't no problem. You're a little hoochie. You shouldn't be, be, be because, because. Be. Can you imagine a 14-year-old teenager pregnant? Imagine, imagine, imagine you have a 14-year-old daughter and she's pregnant. You don't want nobody to see her. Métete en la casa, no salga de ahí until you're 30 years old. Mary obeyed the Lord. You know, we, we see, oh, while well, she had a baby, well, what a blessing, yeah. If you'd have been 13, would you want to be pregnant? By the Holy Ghost? Talk about a spirit came and got me pregnant. And everybody's like, yeah, you liar. you just been shacking up with Joseph, you little slut. She didn't care what people would say of her because she was more concerned in obeying the Lord. So in her obedience, while she decided to say, yes, Lord, she said, yes, Lord, yes, Lord, highly in favor of you among women, yes, Lord, thy will be done. As soon as she said thy will be done, a thousand miles away, God is preparing three men with gold, with frankincense and myrrh. And what she doesn't know that just because she's obeyed, there are three men over here getting ready to follow a star and they're coming with wealth and they're coming with blessings and they're coming with resources. And she thought that just because she's obeyed, she's gonna be broken in a little manger, living like a pauper. Now her obedience has cost them the blessing that she has no ideas on its way. You want God to bless you. You want your family to be blessed? Obey the Lord. And in your obedience, God is going to show you things that eyes haven't seen, ears haven't heard, nor into the heart of man. All he's asking is obedience. So Jesus says, here's what I want from you this Christmas. I don't want a gift from you. I just want your heart of obedience. God is not, a, listen, the only thing God is after from us is obedience. Obedience. So let's obey. And in a tense environment, let the Prince of Peace be born. Here's what's crazy. Put that scripture, the last scripture I was going to read. Put that last scripture up there, please. Look at the Bible says, Luke chapter 2, verse 12 and on. It says, this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloth and lying in a manger. 
Suddenly a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with an angel praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven. And on earth, somebody say peace. In the middle of tension, when Jesus is born, he comes and he brings peace to those on whom his favor rests. That's what Jesus said. My peace I give unto you. Not the way the world gives it, I give it. See, Jesus can stand in the middle of hostility. King Herod. Hostility. Census. Hostility. Nowhere to sleep in a hotel. Hostility. Tumultuous environment. And right in the middle of that, when the angels, when the, when the men and the shepherd come see Jesus, the angels are crying out, peace on earth. That's why Isaiah says, for unto us a child is born and a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders that he shall be called the wonderful counselor. Mighty God, everlasting father and prince of peace. And so today, Jesus wants to give us that peace. So here's how we embrace it. Here's how we embrace it. Obedience. Obey him. There's something about obeying the Lord that gives you peace in the midst of storms. We hope this message has inspired you. As a place of hope, our church is committed to reach our community. If you'd like more information about New Birth, visit our website at nbplaceofhope.com.